Well, hey, good morning and welcome. My name is Dylan. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. And we are continuing in our series through the book of Philippians. So today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it. If you want to open the YouVersion Bible app on your computer, go ahead and get that open. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 18. And we're going to talk about today that the gospel is everything. Wherever you're seated, just say the gospel is everything. That's the point of the message today. And everything else in life, I'm going to argue, is secondary to the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So before we jump in, I just want to ask you, what in your life is everything? Maybe you're in college and to you, getting good grades is everything. Maybe you've got kids and your kids are everything. Maybe you really want to go on that vacation and that vacation is everything. Maybe your financial security is everything. Maybe your career is everything. Maybe your family is, I don't know what everything is for you, but I'm going to argue the Apostle Paul makes a clear case for us that the gospel is everything. And when the gospel is everything, we have joy like we can know in no other way in life. Actually, to know true joy, the gospel must become everything for us. For me, before Christ, my image was everything. What people thought of me, how they viewed me, how I looked, it was everything to me. Matter of fact, it was so much everything to me that it caused me to lie, it caused me to cover things up, it caused me to put a spin on everything so that I made myself look better. To me, my image was everything. When I met Christ, the gospel became everything. And if you're new to church, the gospel simply means the good news of Jesus Christ. The, the, the good news of Jesus Christ who came to die for your sins, who, who rose from the dead to give you life in his name. And if you call on him, will forgive you and give you eternal life with him. The Apostle Paul is the leader in the early church of, of, of the early Christian church. And he's writing a letter to the church in Philippi as a response to a generous gift they sent him to support his ministry. He's writing this letter from prison and Roman prisons were a literal living hell. And so the believers are looking on him. And as you can imagine, they're concerned about how he's doing in his current situation back in prison again. And Paul has suffered shipwreck and beatings and floggings and been left for dead multiple times and imprisoned multiple times. And so the believers are looking on him in prison again, going, man, I hope Paul's okay. Like, I hope he's doing all right. And this is Paul's response to that concern. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Don't worry about how I'm doing. Don't, don't worry about what I'm going through. My suffering has, has used, has been used by God to advance the message of Jesus. I'm good. He says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul knows something about suffering. Matter of fact, this Apostle Paul is the same Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, he says, For those who love God, God is working all things for good. So Paul says the suffering in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, what you suffer, whether it's the loss of job or loss of relationship or maybe the loss of your health, maybe you lose a loved one, maybe your children are struggling, maybe rebelling, whatever you suffer in this life, Whatever you go through, God is using it for your good, but he's also using it if you'll leverage it, if you'll lean into it, if you'll see Jesus in it. He's using it for the advance of the gospel. And he goes on 
Acts chapter 16, this little church plant was established on the back of Paul's imprisonment in Philippi. I just want to read this story to you. It's an incredible story of how this church was planted. It's going to give us insight into how Paul is writing to these believers today. So Acts chapter 16, verse 25, reads like this. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to song. They're doing this in their prison cell. I don't know about you, but if I'm in prison today, I, I think I'd struggle to be praying and singing hymns and being worshipful. I know I'd be like, man, get me out of this prison. But no, they're worshiping. They're praying. They're seeking God. Their life is a witness before their words were a witness. And the, the prisoners were listening to them. Let me say this. As you worship Jesus, as, as your life is a life of praise, there will be people who look on you and they see what God is doing in you and they wonder about you. And it says the prisoners were listening to them sing and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. This is a miracle. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all still here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you and your household and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. So the, the Roman jailer, he's saved. He believes in Jesus. His sins are forgiven. His life is changed. He gets baptized as an expression of his faith to, to proclaim, I'm a follower of Jesus now. Let me just say, if you're new to Christianity, this is your next step. If, if you commit your life to Christ and you receive forgiveness for your sins, your very next step is to be baptized. But then it says he and all his family his whole family received Jesus. His whole family gets baptized as an expression of their faith. Then he brought them up into his house and he set food before them and he rejoiced. There is joy when the gospel becomes everything in your life. There is joy when you put your hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. There is joy when you help other people find God in Christ. He rejoiced along with his entire household. That word household is important. And he believed that he had believed in God. Jesus changes everything. Notice how the gospel moves. Paul and Silas lead the jailer to Christ. The jailer brings them to his family and his whole family receives Christ. And it's his household that is impacted, not just him. And this word household is the Greek word oikos. And it's much more than just your immediate family. It's not like mom, dad, and two kids. No, no, the oikos is the entire family network. This is mom and dad and grandpa and grandma and aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews. It's the whole family. It's, it's people who aren't even relatives that are like family or in the oikos. If you've got family friends, they're oikos. And Paul says the whole household, the whole oikos received Christ. And you've got an oikos in your life. It may be your neighbors, it may be your family, it may be the, the students you're in college with, it may be your kids' soccer league, it, it may be the people you work with, but you've got an oikos, you've got a few oikos. You've got networks, you've got neighborhoods, you've got family. God wants to infiltrate your oikos with the good news of Jesus Christ. And the apostles, you see this in their ministry. They go house to house preaching the gospel. They go into synagogues. They're trying to tap into every oikos they possibly can. They're, they're trying to break into relational networks with the gospel because the gospel is like a virus. 
Once, once it's sown into a network, it spreads like wildfire. And our job as believers is to go to network after network after network and bring the message and the hope of Jesus Christ. And you see in the New Testament church that it's not just the apostles or the church leaders who do this. It's all the believers in all the churches. You see throughout the New Testament, believers get scattered and it says they went about preaching Christ everywhere they went. That's why churches just popped up everywhere. You're like, man, there's a church over there and a church over there. And how'd they get there? Sometimes it's the apostles preaching it. Sometimes in Acts chapter 8, like when Philip goes to Samaria, it's just a believer preaching the gospel everywhere they go. And in, in Paul's Philippian imprisonment, He's in prison. He preaches the gospel to the jailer and it moves into his household. In his Roman imprisonment, which is what he's writing about here in Philippi, he preaches the gospel and through his suffering, the entire imperial guard hears about Christ. So in Philippi, it goes into the household. In Rome, it goes into the network. It goes into the network of all the guards. Listen, Christ wants to move. Jesus wants to move. The gospel needs to move into your entire network, your family, your, your neighborhood, your network at work. God wants to move into your oikos. And it happens through the preaching of the gospel. We teach something called bless to help kind of understand how do I share Jesus with the people around me? And bless is this simple acronym to remember some of the missional rhythms of Jesus. It goes begin with prayer and listen and eat and serve and story that, that to help the people around me who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. I need to pray for them. And let me just encourage you, whether you do it with your spouse or your roommate, or maybe just sit at home by yourself and just write down some of the people in your oikos, some of the people in your network. It could be your neighbors. Maybe you sit down with someone in your household and you just kind of look, okay, the neighbors to the right and the left and the neighbor across the street. I'm just going to write their names down and I'm going to start praying for them. Maybe you don't know their names, you just leave a blank spot and you say, okay, I'm just going to start praying for the people who live in that house and for their entire network of relationships. I'm going to pray that they would know God, that they would experience the freedom of Jesus Christ, that they'd come into a relationship with their Savior. You start praying for them. I'm going to pray they get blessed and that, that God blesses their life and he move upon them. And then, and then you seek to get to know them. And you don't come in hot like, hey, good morning, my name is Dylan. You want to know about Jesus? No, you don't do that. You, you come in and you get to know them. You love them. You listen to them. You hear their story. You hear about their life. And then you share meals with them. Get a cup of coffee or have them over for dinner or have them for a barbecue or just kind of hang out. Get to do life together. And then you serve them. You figure out how can I serve them? How can I minister to them? How can I meet their practical needs? And, and as God opens the door, you share your story with them and you share the story of Jesus with them. There's so much power in this, I'd encourage you to take this step. Write down some names. Maybe it's coworkers. Maybe, maybe it's that soccer league you're in or your kids are in. Write down some names and begin praying. If you, if you do that, you write down some names, you begin praying. I promise you, God will begin to move. Paul didn't choose prison, but God purposed his prison. Paul ended up in prison and he found purpose in his place. Whatever your place is, find purpose in it. How can you leverage your place to fulfill God's purpose? Paul's imprisonment served two purposes, actually. It was the gospel going to the whole imperial guard, but the second thing was that it encouraged the believers. It gave them greater confidence in Jesus. It, it made them bold in sharing the gospel. There may be nothing as faith-building as seeing believers suffer well. 
I remember a good friend of ours, Vicki Mowry was her name and still is her name, by the way. And she, she came down with this rare disease called Guillain-Barre. Within a 24-hour period of time, she went from fully functioning, life as normal, to in the ICU on a ventilator, fighting for her life. And for months, she fought a battle with this disease called Guillain-Barre. It's attacking all the nerves in her body. And, and she battled, and we battled in prayer. The whole church rallied around her in prayer. She's fighting for her life. She, she couldn't speak. And so her, her family would point to letters on a letter chart. And she would blink to tell them, yeah, that's the letter I'm trying to communicate right now. And when she finally got the ventilator out and she was able to speak for the very first time, the first words out of her mouth were, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The first words out of her mouth, been fighting for her life for months. She could have gotten bitter. She could have lost her faith. And there were days that were hard. There were days, she says, that I wanted my life to end. It's not like suffering wasn't challenging. I bet there were times where Paul in prison was like, God, just take my life. Actually, he says, man, should I live or should I die? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Which one? Okay, I'll keep living so I can keep preaching Christ. Vicki said, there were days I wanted to end my life. I wanted it to be over. But the first words out of her mouth, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That her, the way she faced her suffering strengthens me. It, it fortifies me. It makes me go, God is so good. I could walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. Why? Because he's with me. I knew that, but now I know it because I've seen Vicki walk through it. Paul says, my suffering was for Christ. It advanced the gospel. It strengthened believers. Let me tell you, believer, Christian, if you're listening to this, you're a Christian, I want to just urge you, as you walk through life, leverage your life for the advance of the gospel. Even the hard things, if you cling to Jesus and you leverage it, Jesus can use it for his glory. Your life impacts more than just you. Your life is like throwing a rock into a pond, and when it lands, it has ripple effects all out to the pond. Your life impacts everyone around you. Sociologists say even the most introverted of people influence 10,000 people in their lifetime. Your life has influence. The question is, what will we do with that influence? It's true for purpose. It's true for things that are, man, we are advancing the gospel. It's also true for sin. Our sin impacts more than just us. That's why the Bible is so big on confession and repentance because our sin is like a cancer that infects a community. And, and when we come together as believers, online or in person, we are contributing to one another what God has done in us, both our sin and the life of Christ. That's why confession and repentance, we're purging sin from our life and from our community. It's critical. It's huge. My, my, maybe you're in a place right now where you're going, Dylan, there is sin in my life. I have wandered from God. I am drifting. Man, I'm not even walking with Jesus. Let me just say to you, God will draw near to you if you will draw near to him. There's no one who is too far from the Lord. There, you cannot stray so far that he cannot save you. Matter of fact, my brother-in-law, he's been a Christian most of his life and he, he, was, he had times in his life where he's very strong in the Lord. The last few years, he's been drifting in his faith. And he would say, Dylan, there were times where I got so far that I wondered if God would ever take me back. Like, like I knew that I had just, I had sinned against him. I had walked away from him so much that I wondered if he would even receive me back. And I thought, you know what? He has the right to not take me back because of what I've done. 
And he said, but, you know, earlier this year, 2020, during the pandemic, he just began to pray this simple prayer. He said, God, give me a hunger for you again. Give me a hunger for your word. Help me to seek you again. He just prayed that simple prayer. And he prayed it day after day. And he said, after a couple weeks, I began to desire to read the Bible again. He said, after a couple months, man, my heart was just burning. Like I wanted to pray. I wanted to seek God. And I was walking with him through that. I remember he texted me these encouraging, faith-filled things. I was like, man, who is this? There's a little mini revival that happened in his life. And now he's ministering to other people in his church by what God has done through him. Listen, wherever you're at, wherever you're facing, no matter how far you've gone or if you're on fire for the Lord, just ask God to give you a hunger for him. He will meet you there. He will, he will minister to you there. And your life can be leveraged for the gospel. Ask God to meet with you there. Your confidence in Jesus and boldness to share inspires us. And there are some people in this church like Akita who invited Gabby who received Christ and is now walking with Jesus. Or Sarah who invited Austin and studied the gospel of John with him who has received Christ and now ministering to other people, now sharing to other people. Or Keith and Sandra who started a literacy group in the church and they just taught kids how to read and minister to families. And now Janice has come to Kings and her life is being changed. And Jose, 11 years old, he, 11 years old, he took one of those invite cards to his school and invited a classmate. And his classmate came and said, let's look on the people that God has used. I'm like, man, that inspires me. That makes me want to be more bold with my faith. I would encourage you, take advantage of every opportunity to share Christ. Maybe post on Facebook and share your story. Maybe post an invitation or post a link in your, in your chat. Maybe take an invite card or 20 invite cards to work. Take them to your neighbors. Find opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Inviting is a powerful tool. Invite everyone you can. Take invite cards to restaurants and baristas and grocery stores. Invite everyone you can. Why not? Watch what God will do with a simple invitation. I met a guy in a coffee shop not too long ago. and We had a brief conversation and told him what I did, invited him to church and didn't think twice about it. This Sunday he comes up to me. He says, hey, do you recognize me? I said, no. <laughs> he said, he told me the name of the coffee shop. I said, I'm not ringing a bell. <laughs> and then he, he re recounted our conversation. I said, oh yeah, of course. This little invitation. I didn't know what God would do with that. Inviting is powerful, but so is your story. Don't underestimate the power of your story. And when you tell your story, remember, God has called you to be a witness, not a defense attorney. Your job isn't to make a defense and an argument and point after point after point. That can be helpful, but your primary job is to be a witness. What does a witness do? They simply tell what they've seen and what they've heard. Your job is simply to tell people what you've seen in Christ, what you've heard from Christ, what he's done in your life. Don't be weird about it. You don't have to talk about church in a super spiritual, godly kind of, you know, no, no, you know, oh, thus saith the Lord that your life will change. No, you don't have to do that. You, you can just say, man, Jesus changed my life. Just like you say, man, I really enjoyed that burger earlier. Man, Jesus changed my life. Just be yourself, be you. Be authentic. Tell your story. You don't have to tell my story. God gave you a story. He gave you your story. Tell your story. That has power. One of the things that keeps us from doing this is fear. 
Fear keeps us from being bold with the gospel. It may be fear of man. It may be fear of reputation. It may be a fear of the loss of relationship. This is what John tells us, 1 John 4, 18. He says, perfect love casts out fear. God's love for you and God's love for people cast out the fear that keeps you from being bold with the gospel. You begin to realize when fear leaves and love comes into your heart for people, you begin to realize that what you have to give is much greater than what you have to lose. Love motivates blessing people and telling people the gospel. It's only love that will motivate that, which is why a daily encounter with Jesus is so critical. That's why Jesus told us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you'll receive power from the Holy Spirit when he has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So how do you become a faithful witness to Jesus? Well, you receive the Holy Spirit, and he makes you what you're not. He makes, he doesn't just give you a task to do. He makes you a new person. He makes you someone who's bold, boldness, faithfulness. It comes from the Holy Spirit, which doesn't mean, oh, I need to have this incredible, powerful, dynamic moment every day. What it means is just every day, ask Jesus to fill you with his spirit, to to fill you, to come upon you with his presence and his power, and then go into your day with faith that he has answered that prayer. And when you're with people who are far from God, ask God, God, fill me with your spirit. Come upon me with your presence and your power to be a witness to Jesus. And then walk in faith that he has answered that prayer. Verse 12 to 14 is about the advance of the gospel through Paul. That's what we've just talked about. Verse 15 to 18, Paul turns his attention to some not great things happening through some people who are manipulating or using the gospel for their own gain. And he reads, it reads like this. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So some people preach Christ for good reasons. Some people preach Christ for bad reasons. He says, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Listen, this is real for us today. Like there are pastors falling and seemingly left and right. Like, gosh, there's another pastor that had a moral failure or another kind of corrupt moment in a church or another person hurt by a church. Really? It feels like you hear these things in the news constantly. You think, gosh, what is happening? Well, actually it happened back then as well. And I love Paul's response to corrupt leaders in his day, and it should be our response in our day. He says, what then? Like, is the, broken of the brokenness of the church something to rejoice in? No. Have those leaders disqualified themselves, and do they need to repent and confess their sin and really walk through repentance? Yes. Should these issues be addressed? Absolutely. Are people really hurting? Yes. But Paul says, well, what should I do? He says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, like above all, what matters more than anything is that Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Paul's like, there's one thing for me that matters. One mission, one concern, one ambition, one passion, and that is that Christ is proclaimed. You know, we get so caught up in like, is this the right method or the right worship style or the right, you know, thing to do? And it's like, man, whatever it takes to get the gospel to as many people as possible. One church I know says, we'll do anything short of sin to help more people know Jesus. I'm like, yes, that is so true. So Paul, I think if he was here today, he would say, okay, mega church, great. Micro church, great. Everything in between, great. 
You want to use TikTok and YouTube and Facebook and it's great. I think Paul, if he came into our day, he'd be like, wait, you're telling me there is a global platform that I can tell the whole world about Jesus and no one's going to throw me in prison or kill me for it? Come on. Absolutely. He'd be all over that. Use all means, by any means possible, to reach people far from God. We say we exist as a church to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. To get to all people everywhere, we got to go where all those people are and use any means possible to get the gospel to them. Why? Because the gospel is everything. We are called to leverage all of life to get the gospel to as many people as possible, to fill the earth with the message of Jesus Christ. I want to leave you with this. Two weeks ago, I said no greater joy than partnering with people to fulfill the mission of Jesus. The source of that joy is Jesus Christ. Christ received in your own heart. Christ at work in your life. And Christ proclaimed in the world. If you want joy, then make a practice of rejoicing in the gospel. And if you want joy, then make a practice of investing in the gospel and to make the gospel your passion, which passion is not just what gets you excited. Passion is actually what you're willing to suffer for. Passion, the the Latin root word is petit, and that word means to suffer. So what you're passionate about is what you're willing to suffer other things for because it matters that much to you. So let me ask you, become passionate about the gospel. Invest in the gospel. Invest your time, invest your money, invest your resource. By the way, if you're not honoring God with the first 10% of all that you've received called the tithe, start doing that. Put God first in your life and invest your resource into the advance of the gospel. There is no greater joy than investing in the gospel. If you're not on the dream team, if you're not using your gifts to serve other people and advance the gospel, then come today to Growth Track Step 2. And begin to learn your spiritual gifts and your personality and how you can invest your time into the gospel. Listen, if, you, if you're not blessing people around you, like if, if you've not discovered, okay, where is my mission field? Where's my oikos? And how am I praying for them and listening and eating and serving and storing with them? Start doing that. Take some steps to invest in the advance of the gospel. May his passion become our passion. May we become like Paul who went everywhere and every chance told everyone he could about the message of Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you before we go. Matter of fact, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't have a relationship with him, I just want to pray for you that today would be the day you say, I want to become a follower of Jesus. Wherever you're at, maybe with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to pray for you. And if that's you, you can repeat after me. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die for my sins that he rose from the dead to give me life in his name. I pray you would forgive me of my sin and give me a new life with him. Help me to give my life to follow Jesus and fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me pray for the rest of us. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters watching here. I pray that you'd fill us with a passion for the gospel. You'd help us to put the gospel first above all things, that the gospel would become everything to us and help us to leverage our lives to advance it all around us. In Jesus' name, amen.